Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now it's time for our dear friend Dr. History, and every Tuesday at 10.06 he's on the air, brought to you by Burley Veterinary Hospital. Don't forget Dr. Scott Morley and his very friendly, knowledgeable staff at Burley Veterinary Hospital, taking care of all your large and small animal needs. They also offer ambulatory services for large animals. After-hour care for all emergencies, they are your family veterinarian. Don't forget yet they're located at 2869 overland in burley burley veterinary hospital with dr scott morley at 678-5509 and right now here's dr history good morning zeb how are you buddy doing good the wind blew me right in here today um yeah and we're supposed to get some rain too yeah i think so yeah but we need it now do you have any thank yous i do i do i want to thank jack he wrote to me and he likes the stories about the native americans and uh he likes the fact that I try to be as historically accurate as possible. Uh-huh. Because, you know, with history, there's things that are myths and one thing or another. And I, again, I, I try to be as accurate as possible with these stories. So thank you, Jack. And then Malio sent me, I just got today, two books that were written by her parents. And I'm going to show you a picture of this, Ed. Here's These are the two books that I just got. One is called Hank Vaughn, 1849-1893, Hell-Raising Horse Trader of the Bunchgrass Territory. There you go. And then the second book is called... No, when you say Bunchgrass Territory, I'm assuming Montana, right? Uh, well, this is uh, Northeastern Oregon. Oh, okay. So, right. uh, And then the second book is called In Pursuit of the McCartys. Uh, Tom Carty, the outlaw, or Tom McCarty, the outlaw, and... Uh, Anyway, so I just got those this morning, so thank you uh, for sending those books over to me. Absolutely, and I'm yeah. sure you'll have a complete half hour on those. I will. All right. <laughs> I think I've talked about those guys already before. But uh, So today, Zeb, I'm going to tell a story about a man, and I'm going to st- uh, take a chance here that any, anybody out there has heard of this guy, Eugene Blair. Eugene Blair, no. Wells Fargo messenger. Never shotgun. heard of the guy. And I haven't either. And, you know, I've had this uh, in my den for a, long, a couple of years, and I hate to admit, but I don't know where I got it. Uh, somebody may have sent it to me, and if somebody did, let me know, and I'll give proper credit to whoever sent this to me. But Eugene Blair. Yeah. And huh. maybe as I go along, maybe it'll ring a bell or something. Okay. So, anyway, so you got to picture this. There's two masked men who stopped the Eureka to Pioch stagecoach near Ward, Nevada. Do you know where that is, Ward, Nevada? I know where Pioch is. Yeah, I've never yeah. heard of Ward. It must be a small place down there. Anyway, these two guys stopped the uh, uh, the stagecoach uh, on the evening of February 27, 1877, and they made two big mistakes. First, they chose a stage guarded by a shotgun messenger. Second, they chose a stage guarded by perhaps the most formidable express man on Wells Fargo's books, Eugene Blair. I've never heard of him. Never heard of him. Uh, and that's kind of why I like this story. I like to be able to read yeah. out stories that people yeah. maybe Good old Eugene. Eugene. Well, Blair uh, later testified that as the coach climbed a grade, quote, a masked man stepped out from behind a tree on the right side of the stage. Well, 
Blair thought the man uh, yelled out, hold up, but he wasn't certain. And at the same time, Blair continued, uh, he said, a shotgun was fired. I immediately fired a shot at the man coming from behind the tree, jumped from the front seat of the stage, and saw another man who shot twice with a shotgun at me. I returned the fire and followed him about 50 or 75 yards when I lost sight of him. Returning back to the stage, I heard a man calling out that he would give himself up and that he was in a dying condition. So he shot one of the guys. Yeah, and the other one got away. And the other, you know, which brings the point. The guy you said the other guy shot at him with the shotgun, right, and missed. That's hard to do. <laughs> that is, you know, I could even hit most things yeah. with a shotgun. Well, the would-be robber, he was bad. He was seriously wounded. Uh, in fact, one shotgun blast had almost torn his arm off, and the second had hit him in the stomach, in the body. Oh, Two shots, my. you know, pretty fatal. Yeah. Well, they loaded him onto the stage, and Eugene Blair proceeded to the next town and got medical assistance. But a doctor amputated the remains of the shattered arm, but the wounds were, they were bad. Uh, his name was John Carlo, and he was a ter- 23-year-old native Ohioan. Oh, And he died uh, the next evening. But, Uh, you know, with a wound like that, you know, arm gone, shot in the the abdomen, that's pretty much a death. And the other guy got away. He got away so far. Now, Blair uh, couldn't get any information uh, about the other holdup man because obviously this guy's dead. So he couldn't find out who the other guy was. But he started asking questions in town and he came up with a name, a guy named Jim Crawford. So a few days later, Blair tracked him down in the hills some 30 miles from Pioche and arrested him without any problem. He just uh, kind of gave himself up. So Blair took Crawford to Pioche, uh, and Crawford actually made a full confession and pleaded guilty. Hmm. So the other robber that got away, he pled guilty, and the judge sentenced him to seven years in prison. Wow. So now... Uh, one acquaintance of, uh, described Blair as a hair-trigger sort of fellow. Uh-huh. Okay? Quick-tempered. Newspapers of the time praised Blair the messenger for his actions in defense of the stage. The Placerville Mountain uh, newspaper called him a hero. The Eureka Sentinel said he was, quote, one of the bravest men in the country. I see. So he had a reputation. You know, it it was, uh, and we'll see a little more as we go along. And, in fact, Wells Fargo actually presented him with a very nice Remington breech-loading shotgun, quote, in partial recognition of past services. Mm. So Wells Fargo thought very highly of this guy. Yeah, I see. So, now, a good shotgun messenger, you know, we always say shotgun, but really the term was messenger. That was, is really the proper term. Where did they come up with messenger, I, I, though? I really don't know. But, you know, today we always say he rode shotgun. Yeah. But really the term should be messengers. And they needed to stay alert. Well, one of the guys got a message, I'll tell you that. (laughs) At the end of a shotgun. So they had to be able to identify danger in an instant and act accordingly. And Blair did just that time and time again. He fired his shotgun, uh, was sometimes firing his shotgun, was sometimes part of the job, obviously. And here's what he said. I have no regret for killing or maiming a highwayman. He once said... But I should never forgive myself for firing on an innocent man. 
So he wasn't just a reckless, you know, hair trigger type guy. He yeah. was he yeah. was very careful. Uh, but uh, Blair gained recognition as a very important guard with, uh, as you could say, a few notches in his shotgun. And when asked later in life how many men he had killed, he replied, two. One of them was Carlo, the guy we just mentioned, in the line of duty. The other, he said, had no connection with his Wells Fargo work, but he declined to elaborate on that. Hmm. So we don't really know what that other guy was, but you know, to only kill two people, yeah. one in the line. Yeah. Of so Eugene Blair was 31 uh, when he stopped the holdup uh, attempted by this Carlo, the one he killed, and Crawford, the one that got sent to jail. But uh, one contemporary described him as, quote, very tall, long-limbed and muscular, quick of motion, ready and perfectly brave. Now, another person called him wiry and powerful. I see. So he was born on a farm near uh, Augusta in uh, in Maine in 1845. In Maine? In Maine, yeah. Oh, my. Ended up out west. But, you know, a lot of those guys got tired of the eastern, yeah. you know, and they came out west and became sheriffs or ranchers or whatever. But uh, so at age 20, he came out to Virginia City, Nevada. And like a lot of people, he tried his hand at mining, but... You know, that that was hard work. And not kidding. He finally gave up on that, and he became a jailer. And then in 1870, he is listed as being a policeman. Uh, soon afterward, he became a deputy sheriff in the rowdy town of Peoke. Now, I've been through Peoke. I but don't picture that as a rowdy town. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> you know, it's really not much more than a kind of a... Uh, and I hate you a know truck stop. it's a truck stop yeah. kind of small yeah. town, but but at this time in 1872 Blair was doubling as a Wells Fargo employee, and he actually uh, while helping to break up a fight in a saloon in 1873 he broke a bone above the ankle, and his injuries weren't severe but uh, he probably walked with a little bit of a limp. For years afterwards. You know, though, we're, we're criticizing Pioch and maybe saying it wasn't much of a town, but think back, though, a lot of towns that were fairly good sized, like even Rock Creek out here well, south yeah, of us, right. at one time was a large town. Well, you even closer, you look yeah. at Albin and there Oakley and Declo, Absolutely, yeah. they were booming towns yeah. at the time. Yeah. So, uh, you people in Pioch, I, I apologize if I uh, said anything wrong about your little They're your coming town for you. <laughs> I won't tell them where I live. Okay. Now we move ahead to 1874. Uh, Blair continued his work for Wells Fargo in Colfax, California. And then in the Jul- July, he moved to Corinne, Utah Territory. Really? Which, you know, is on the Central Pacific. Mm-hmm. And he was there for a while, but uh, then he went back to Peoch. And that was his base again in 1875. And on occasion, he actually did drive the stagecoaches as well, as well as being a messenger. Now, during one incident in Utah, when outlaws ordered Blair to throw up his hands, the team spooked, carrying him and his passengers to safety. And that's happened more than once, where uh, somehow the the driver or somebody just kind of lets the horses go, and they take off and leave the, the outlaws behind. But most of the time, he rode shotgun, and that's where he made his reputation. So, Wells Fargo didn't have enough express messengers for every stagecoach, so the company put guards on routes that they thought were prime targets for robbers. And according to Wells Fargo Special Officer James B. Hume, most guards were 
quote, men of thorough courage and prompt action, the kind of men you can depend on if you get in a fix with the certainty that they will pull, pull you through or stay by you till the last. Oh, so these guys were, they, they were just pretty brave guys. What did they get paid? That's a good question, and I'm sure it wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> just, mean, just a thought. Oh, yeah. But uh, they said Blair in particular excelled at his job. When he or another, another messenger rode shotgun, it presented outlaws with a dilemma. While the strong box probably contained a pretty considerable sum, the risks of trying to rob it were greatly increased if they knew that Blair was the messenger. You, you and I talked about this before. Some of these guys that robbed stagecoaches and even trains, not the brightest bulbs in the fixture. No, I told the story about one. Uh, it was actually a man and a woman that robbed a stage, and then they got lost in the in the territory and wandered around until they got arrested. Yeah, and, and the one that always intrigued me the most, you had a story one time about a guy that stood his horse on the railroad tracks and told the train to slow down. He was going to rob the train. I thought... Huh? <laughs> well, some were pretty smart, some not so much. <laughs> uh, but anyway, on occasion, Blair gu- actually guarded a prisoner instead of a instead of a strongbox. So, in February of 1876, he escorted desperado Richard Idaho Bill Sloan, and I did a story on Idaho Bill, and I was going to look I that remember up, that. and I, I forgot to look up to get yeah. a little more detail about Idaho, Idaho Bill. Idaho Bill. Yeah. Richard Idaho Bill Sloan, uh, he was taking him from P. Oaks to Salt Lake City. It seems Bill and his gang had taken over the stake station at a place called Desert Springs the month before, caused all sorts of problems, and eventually had been ir- arrested in P. Oaks. Hmm. The booming town. The booming town of Pioch. So an acquaintance of Blair's recalled how this went down. Quote, Bill, uh, Idaho Bill, was a desperado and a dangerous one, but out Pioch, Nevada, he submitted to arrest as peacefully as a lamb when Eugene Blair came for him. Uh Uh-oh. The prisoner was handcuffed, of course, and Blair sat beside him in the coach. It was generally thought that Bill's friends would try to rescue him somewhere on the road, which led him, Blair, to say to Bill, quote, Bill, I've heard that your friends are going to get you away from me between here and Carson, if they can. Likely enough, they will. But it's fair to tell you that it'll never do you any good, for I shall shoot you dead at the first break they make. It's as well to have the matter understood between us. Well, he's kind of telling it <laughs> like it is. He delivered the prisoner, no problem. I see. He didn't get. He didn't uh, didn't escape. So another time on the night of April fourteenth, eighteen seventy six, Blair was riding shotgun beside a, his driver named Pat Ryan on the Eureka to Pioch route when outlaws stopped them three miles from Pioch. The booming, the town. booming town of Pioch. Pat Ryan, the driver, was ordered to throw down the box. As the stage was stopped, Blair, the messenger, dropped down in the front boot, just down where where he's still on the stage. And uh, Eugene Blair, messenger, dropped down with his double-barrel shotgun. Pat Ryan threw out an empty box to the outlaws. Okay, so he had an empty one, I guess, probably with a full one. So they grabbed it, and they called out, Ryan, is that the right one? 
Well, uh, Ryan said he doesn't remember what he said, but just at that time, Blair fired at the robber who received the shot in his side. Ouch. Yeah. So he returned at once just as Ryan started whipping up the horses, and after they'd gone a short distance, they stopped, and Blair got down and went back after the box, which he found, but the robber had managed to get away, even though he'd been shot in the side. So evidently it wasn't enough to And that was And that wasn't just birdshot either. No, no. Uh, but anyway, later that night, uh, parties from Pioch returned to the scene. Uh, a posse, they followed the tracks for some distance before they lost them in the sagebrush. So they're not quite sure what happened. But a month later... A lone outlaw again held up the Eureka to Pioch stage, this time some 80 miles from Pioch. The booming. The booming. Town. And uh, anyway, the messenger chased off the outlaw, and Blair, who was not on board this time, took up the case. So he was also kind of a guy that went after a the detective. robbers. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, afterward, he arrested a guy named George Mayfield on suspicion. Now, Mayfield never admitted to that holdup, but was convicted of other stage robberies. So, kind of an interesting guy. He didn't did just these write... crooks, these guys, these highwaymen that were going to rob the stage, did they ever think about maybe standing behind a tree or a rock? <laughs> you know, why would you just stand out there in front? Yeah, kind of. You know, yeah. I, I would stand behind something. Yeah. At least maybe my partner. It would. <laughs> <laughs> Chicken. You know, yeah, it's true. Now, that August, Blair's... Uh, adversary, if you want to call him, was a driver named Condon. Okay, he was not a road agent. And the story says, sharing the driver's seat for long hours at a time did not always engender congenial relations. They didn't like each other. And the two men came to blows. Oh, on the stage. (laughs) The driver and the messenger. Oh, my. And it says, Condon got worsted, <laughs> according to one account. He got worsted. He got worsted. That's a, I'm going to have to remember that. So anyway, a little later, 1877, there's a guy named Big Jack Davis. He was a veteran train and stage robber, and he planned to hit a stage guarded by Blair. Back in 1867, uh, uh, Davis had been prosecuted for holding up the Eureka stage, but had gotten away. Anyway, now Big Jack was back in action, and the plan called for them to watch stages leaving Eureka. If a messenger was aboard, they figured there must have been a worthwhile prize. There must have been some good money. So the plan was for the gang members to ride to a place called Willow Station, 40 miles south of Eureka, capture the station handlers, and wait for the stage. So Jack Davis and the others, they went to Willow Station. They tied up the stockmen and the blacksmith. The outlaws uh, got ready for the incoming stage. They barricaded a corner of a stable, and they got an axe. Uh, they were going to open the strong box. They even had time to prepare and eat a meal while they were waiting. So around 9 o'clock, the stage pulled into the station, and uh, a guy named Jack Perry was driving. Uh, they were, Blair and another guy were guarding the box, and they had two passengers. Well, uh, somebody yelled out to, to Blair, you know, uh, and Blair thought it was just the station men maybe had gotten drunk and were just kind of playing a joke on him. And he started to climb down from the stagecoach. Just as he did, he was greeted by a double-barrel barge, uh, barrage of shotguns. Ooh. 
one, uh, both shots passed so near his head that the powder on one warmed his face. Wow. That's pretty close. Uh, he was kind of blinded by the gun smoke, uh, and so he kind of shot wide. But a minute later, he felt the cold muzzle of the gun against his chest. Uh-oh. Blair, uh, he got to admire this guy. He caught the robber, turned quickly, grabbed the guy, uh, because the, the robber had his wrong the wrong trigger finger. <laughs> You're kidding. These guys are really buffoons. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the driver at this time raised his shotgun and gave the full contents to the uh, guy that was holding the gun on Blair. Now, wait a minute. That's close range. He could have hit the other guy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Ooh, uh, there's a lot of shotguns going yeah. off. Well, the other outlaws by now, they disappeared. They I would figured they were, they were done. You think? And the guy that was shot by the driver, he, he died. Uh, That's a gimme. Yeah. So, anyway, Wells Fargo and, and Blair apparently decided that his days riding shotgun should come to an end. He'd been singled out by name, and sooner or later someone would kill him in revenge. There you go. So he moved to uh, Nevada for a while, then to San Diego, and he died in 1884. Eugene Blair. Eugene Blair. And oh, if anybody's boy. heard of him or knows more about this guy, let me know. That was a good story. Yeah. A whole bunch of shotguns going off. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see people with rifles, you know, yeah. riding shotgun. But I'm thinking uh, a no. shotgun is going to be more effective. Yeah. I Most of the time, I think they did carry shotguns. Yeah. 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 But, yep. you know, TV and Hollywood, they always show the guy oh, with yeah. a rifle yeah. shooting at the Indians or the outlaws yeah. or whatever. So. I'll tell you what. Good story. I had not heard of him. I got to run. But thank you very yeah. much. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 